Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. It is my great privilege to welcome to Talk Nation Radio this week Hawes Spencer, who is a journalist who has reported for the New York Times, NPR, The Hook, and other publications. He has taught journalism at Virginia Commonwealth University and James Madison University. For over two decades, Hawes Spencer edited two weekly newspapers in Charlottesville, Virginia, both of which he co-founded, Seaville Weekly and The Hook. As the editor of The Hook, his staff delivered 149 awards from the Virginia Press Association during its nine-year run. His new book is called Summer of Hate, Charlottesville, Virginia. Hawes Spencer lives, as I do here in Charlottesville, Virginia. Hawes, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. David, it is a pleasure to be on the show. It's great to have you on. I think your book is a very valuable resource. It reads like a collection of newspaper articles carefully documenting the facts of what happened when the white supremacists came to town. Uh, it's got lots of context, but I think not so much commentary. Is, is that what you were aiming for? Yeah, David, I steer so far away from commentary. I, I just treat it like the plague. Um, I've dedicated my career to being an independent journalist, and the whole purpose of this book is to give anyone who wants to discuss or think about what happened in Charlottesville a sort of grounding, a sort of framework of fact from which then they can launch whatever interests them, but it's definitely not to tell people what to think. Well, in defense of Charlottesville's good name, such as it is, uh, I like to tell people that most of the, the fascists and Nazis who came to the August 2017 rally, though certainly not all of them, came from outside of Charlottesville. Am I, am I correct about that? Well, that's actually a hotly disputed point. I mean, there are some individuals in town who would really take you to task for that. Among them is Dr. Jelaine Schmidt, who is written about in the book, and she points out that uh, both Richard Spencer, who is one of the leaders of the alt-right, in fact, he sort of popularized the term alt-right, and Jason Kessler, the man who organized the Unite the Right rally, both went to the University of Virginia, which is right here in Charlottesville. As did I, as did a lot of people around here, and I was familiar with those two out of out of hundreds, but does that does yeah. that up, add up to a majority? <laughs> no, definitely not, but th there's a little bit more to it. You know, when those monuments, the General Robert E. Lee and the Stonewall Jackson monument, when they were dedicated, there was a lot of KKK activity in the city of Charlottesville. And the KKK of that era, we're talking about in the early 1920s, was not the sort of motley group of um, men carrying misspelled signs and um, looking like they're having trouble grooming themselves and preparing to put on a demonstration that we see today. The KKK was a powerful, very powerful force, which um, was was sort of celebrated in the local media. Like, when when they had their organizational meeting, they met out at Monticello at Thomas Jefferson's grave site, and the newspaper kind of issued fawning coverage of their event as some of the, you know, like, leading town's fathers celebrate new group kind of a thing. So yeah, that's, that's some of the backdrop for Charlottesville history. I mean, you and I 
might find people who would say those days are long gone. But there's a lot of individuals in Charlottesville who feel like that set us on a course of white supremacy that has not come close to being undone. Oh, I wasn't dreaming for an instant of suggesting there wasn't racism and structural racism and never had been in Charlottesville. I was just suggesting that the, that the fascists uh, a year and a half ago or a little over a year ago uh, came largely from outside of Charlottesville. Um, but uh, Yeah, I would say that. That's, I probably should have addressed your question a little bit better. I think, I think judging from license plates I saw at parking places and things that groups like the... Um, the um, Southern Poverty Law Center have indicated, showed that they came from, I think, what was it, like 35 states? Yeah. So, yeah, definitely a lot of a lot of people coming in from out of town. What, what else? I mean, that's one thing that I think, uh, rightly or not, that people ought to know that don't. What else? In, in, in reading your book, I actually learned a great deal that I didn't know, and I live here. But, but what do you think people around the country and the world ha- have got most wrong about Charlottesville or, or don't know about? Well, I think one thing that people sometimes make a mistake about, and our governor made a mistake about this point when he visited the next day, um, was that, you know, those guys carrying guns, we can, we can fault them for various things, but the ones who were carrying the big, scary, the big, you know, semi-automatic guns, they were not really the all-right. They were members of militias. Now, militias have their own issues, of course, but, but they, they, people sometimes paint with a broad brush and go, look at these scary all-right people with their semi-automatic weapons. No, that, that, those really weren't the alt-right. Those are people who love to play weekend warrior and, and, and also, you know, have a, have a claim that the Second Amendment is a very important part of the Constitution, and they, they muster themselves and try to uphold it. Well, I, I I think it's an important point that that uh, some other people have have made that there was the, there there were militia people there not for the racist cause so much as just to be there with their guns uh, who who may have actually broken up some some fights rather than starting some. But it, it, it's always seemed to me since before last summer and ever since that that. This talk about armed people, some of them threatening violence, uh, in a conversation about the First Amendment is totally misguided. I mean, I would have liked to see these people be given a permit to gather and speak unarmed as long as they agreed not to threaten violence. I mean, wouldn't that have been the free speech position? I think it would have. I mean, I I think one of the casualties of August 12th has been... The American appreciation of of free speech to some degree. You, you see organizations like the ACLU, which have had just terrible internal um, schisms since Charlottesville, because they became, in some sense, a new organization, at least among some of their younger um, employees, people who were drawn to the organization um, out of um, a distrust of the new president and some of the things that he had said that made people think that civil liberties and civil rights for um, immigrant communities would be suppressed. But they're, they're fighting against themselves and some of the older members of, of say, the ACLU who came of age 
when the ACLU was willing to go all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court to let Nazis march in a, a community where where Holocaust survivors were living, and 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 you know, just boldly get up in their face that way, and the ACLU, even though they found that type of person detestable, said, you know, we find you detestable, but we're going to fight for your right to do that because the First Amendment's that important. But but since Charlottesville, even their director has said something to the effect that they're going to take into consideration whether a group is going to be armed and threatening violence uh, or not. Uh, and, and I would think that they and the Charlottesville City Council and many other people ought to have done that uh, over a year ago. Yeah, the, the thing that's curious, though, is when you look at Jason Kessler, for instance, I don't think that guy has ever advocated violence that I'm aware of. I mean, there may be something I missed, but he he claims to be a white identitarian, and though he did a poor job of policing his event um, a year ago, and, and, and he said some things that are completely indefensible, you know, about Heather Heyer, and um, he's, he's, he recently made some homophobic statement. To, uh, to a candidate for, for a state office. Um, I don't think he's been an advocate of, of any violence. I think, I think he was a guy who got caught up in, in something that he wanted to push, and he, he probably just wanted numbers. And he got just, you know, all kinds of weird people. And when I say weird, that's an understatement. I was on a radio, another radio program, and somebody called in and said, hey, you know, when someone's marching next to you carrying a Nazi flag, that might be the time to uh, either ask them to leave or you leave. And clearly that didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, We're speaking with Hawes Spencer, whose book is Summer of Hate, Charlottesville, USA. Uh, Highly recommended. Um, So so for people who don't know the state of Virginia and its uh, laws, such as they are, uh, the city of Charlottesville claims that it cannot ban guns from such events. Uh, And and in fact, it took it until almost a year later to ban every weapon under the sun except guns uh, for the for the one year anniversary, which uh, others, including in your book, uh, express the belief that they could have done and ought to have done uh, before last summer. Um, what is the what is the legal status and any possible moral justification uh, for the for the banning of non gun weapons, but not guns? Yeah, that's a great question. And and that was addressed by Tim Hafey, the lawyer, um, who, who um, recently uh, took a new job as you know, the University of Virginia's counsel. But um, a few months ago, he was with a private law firm that was hired to do the, the most intensive um, after-action report on, and to really scrutinize the um, actions of the politicians and the police and others. And he released this big report. I mean, he, his firm claims they racked up like nearly a million dollars or so of billings, but they charged the city a discounted fee of 300000 And it, it was an in-depth report. But to answer your question, the thing that it found was the General Assembly will not let you ban guns. It's, it's written right there in state code. And there are a few exceptions. A city can make some sort of a petition 
to the state government, but it's to, to ban guns, but it must be done in, in, well in advance. And, and the Virginia General Assembly has just held those reins and held, I, I think it stems from this very, uh, Virginia's very uh, long attraction to the Second Amendment, um, which, you know, is one of our founding documents, right? Um, and the, anyway, to, the short answer is the General Assembly holds that power, is just it, like it holds the power on the monument. Is the explanation, as you suggest, ideological? Because I know in terms of our federal government in the United States Congress, votes on guns and positions on guns uh, in many cases closely follow funding from uh, gun organizations uh, into you know, so-called campaign contributions into candidates' campaigns. Yeah, you know, that's, I'm afraid that's a, that's a task I have not done to really analyze, like, where the cogs of power are, but I, I, I think that, that there's fertile ground there. Certainly, there are donations from, from the gun lobby to Virginia legislators, and, and I think that's wor- worthy of further study. In fact, it, it may be something that someone's already studied, and I just don't know about it. Yeah, in a in a probably a similar uh, topic, but why explain to people why the statues are still standing? Well, yeah, exactly. That's um, sorry, I'm near traffic. I apologize for that background noise. Um, the statues are still standing um, for that exact same reason. The Virginia Code has a law that says war memorials will not be altered. Not only will they not be altered. They won't even be, I forget the exact word, but it's, it's some version of molested or, or uh, bothered or something of that nature. And so using that law, I've sat in court while a Charlottesville judge ordered the mourning tarps, the tarps that were put on to mourn the death of Heather Heyer and the trauma suffered by the community. I've sat in a courtroom while a judge ordered those removed and said, hey, state code's clear here, pal. If you had if you'd said you were mourning Heather Heyer for a period of time and the tarps would come off at X period of time, then maybe I'd let them stay. But the judge said to the city council, "You just put the tarps on and let them stay, and you didn't you didn't put any kind of a sunset on it." So I've got this law I've got to uphold tarps off, tarps off, and the tarps came off the next day. But, but haven't I seen opinions from the Attorney General and other localities in Virginia suggesting that uh, applying that law to Charlottesville would mean applying it retroactively, which is not part of that law, uh, and therefore there is a reasonable legal interpretation that Charlottesville can, in fact, go ahead and take down those statues? Yes, David, you're absolutely right there. Not there was a, an attorney general's opinion, and there was a judge down in Danville in a in a circuit court down there who ruled that the law, what the way it was written, did not apply to these particular memorials. But um, thus far, the Charlottesville judge has domain over his court, and he has um, he has chosen to rule in a different manner, which certainly suggests that this this is a legal issue that could really heat up. In fact, just in the past few days, I understand that Jones Day, one of the biggest law firms in America, has um, agreed to represent the city councilors in that litigation pro bono. And so, I mean, it looks like they're gearing up for 
a real fight and one that sounds like it's going to the Virginia Supreme Court. Do you do you, my suspicious side uh, tells me the city the city council members last year and this year they've changed a little bit uh, don't entirely mind being able to pass the buck on these questions to the state legislature. I mean, be, before the before the deadly rally of August two thousand seventeen, uh, there were there were first two and then finally three out of the five city council members who wanted to take the statues down, and then the then mayor Mike Signer didn't come around until immediately after uh, the rally, where to hear him on television interviews, you would have thought it was his idea to begin with. Um, I, 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 isn't there maybe some, some actually some reluctance uh, in Charlottesville City Council and in Charlottesville's population to take the statues down? Well, that's a very good point. Before August 12th, there was actually a very strong uh, set of opinions um, from Mayor Signer and others, including including members of the um, Blue Ribbon Commission that was charged with determining what to do with the monuments, and and they they issued a series of sometimes conflicting uh, suggestions, but but their main their main report did not call for moving those monuments. Their final report, and so they. They kind of threw it into the city's lap, and as you point out, Bigner was against moving them. It was, it was kind of tied for a while, and then Bob Fenwick was the name of one now former city councilor who became the swing vote, and he changed his mind. And so it was a three-to-two vote in favor of moving just Lee, not Jackson, just Lee. And, um, yeah, and that's, but of course, after August 12th, everybody's rushing to go, oh, yeah. I gotta move. We gotta move them. Gotta move them. You know, um, and and I'm not. And I'm not. I don't mean to ridicule that, um, but that was the the history of that decision. Yeah, and 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 in fact, that impact was felt in a lot of other cities around the United States, where statues did come down shortly after uh, that disaster in Charlottesville. Right? Oh my gosh, they were dropping like flies after Charlottesville. In fact, um, I think it was Durham, right, where they. They toppled one just a few days later um, in Baltimore. They took one down in the in the darkness of night. Yep. Other cities resorted to unusual procedures, like trying to sell their statues to a nonprofit or a private organization that could then do the removal to sort of get around state law. I mean, all over America. Yeah, New Orleans took them down, and the mayor made some great uh, remarks as to as to why they ought to have come down. Yeah, Mitch Landro had that incredible speech um, as a white man who had been for a long time in New Orleans and had really come around to seeing how bad he thought they were for his city and the course of unity. And and you and you mentioned New Orleans, and you got to remember when they tried to take their statue down, they they farmed they um, hired a private contractor, and the contractor had. Um, some sort of firebombing of his equipment or his vehicles or something. And they eventually, you know, had to station snipers around the uh, Lee Monument in downtown New Orleans because they were just fearful of terrorism. Yeah, incredible. Uh, 
there there was of course a great deal of fear here in Charlottesville uh in 2017 and then on the anniversary when uh very little happened uh and i, I wonder what you what you think now looking back at at these two events uh of the performance of the police i, I mean i've seen one documentary where they show a young man being beaten in the parking garage on market street and uh, apparently show a number of police officers standing, you know, 20 yards away in front of the police station, uh, unwilling to, to lift a finger. Yeah, I, I can't, I can't, I, I always, when I teach journalism, I always try to tell my students, don't try too hard to get into the head of, of somebody, especially, I think we did see those law enforcement officers after that young man was beaten in the parking garage, but... That entire attack only took place in, like, a matter of just a handful of seconds. I, I never timed it, but we're talking, like, between four to eight seconds, I think. I mean, I could be off by a percentage. I really, I'm sorry, I did not time it. Right. But I'm not, sure they, I'm not sure they saw it, you know. I think they were, that was a terrible attack, clearly, because that, there was a man, that young man was um, kicked and beaten while he was already on the ground hit on the head with a club, pushed down, gasped. I mean, it yeah. was just... Well, it's... It was, I, I, in fact, I've looked at the videos, and I've counted eight different individuals um, um, made some sort of assault on that guy. Which would be kind of a lot for four seconds, but... but it I, would, but it was... It, uh, and, and that's... I, I apologize. I, I gave a range, and it's really, it's really kind yeah. of an argument from ignorance. Yeah, but, but, I, but I, I think we're talking it's... about... No more than a dozen seconds. It's, I think it's a fair uh, consideration that those police officers may or may not have grasped what they were being asked to come and, and prevent. But, but I think uh, the, the portrait that your book tells, as well as other reports tell, is of uh, massive police presence, militarization, National Guard, not to mention those militia, uh, and... Uh, largely, apparently, for the purpose uh, of protecting themselves uh, based on their behavior and their comments, placing themselves behind barriers and not coming out uh, unless it's to to protect themselves while they, they stand by, in many cases, and observe people uh, assaulting each other. Yeah, well, I think that was one of the revelations that, you know, a lot of people saw with their own eyes and you know it was just a matter of a few weeks after the release of that so-called Hafey report that um, our police chief resigned and really retired from his longtime law enforcement career um, and you know the Virginia State Police Superintendent resigned shortly thereafter and the Charlottesville City Manager saw his contract not renewed a few months after that so heads did roll. Yeah. What do, I, I think something else that many people may not uh, be aware of outside of Charlottesville is the extent of the of the violence and the agitation for violence from the the anti-racist crowd. Uh, and uh, I mean, we saw this in the anti-racist rally on the anniversary that was actually uh, held in Washington D.C. as well as as well as in Charlottesville. But so many hateful uh, signs. The only good. Fact 
fascist is a dead fascist. I mean, it seems like like anti-fascist fascism to me. I, I mean, it seems to me the problem is hatred and violence, not just the word fascism. What do you, what? How do you? Uh, how do you view those who who turned out to oppose racism? Well, I think I think you're absolutely right. It, you know, anytime you're dealing with a large crowd of people, you have you know however many hundred or thousands of individuals, and some. As I looked out that day on the crowd in Charlottesville, I saw people I knew from the left who you know might just be like ringing a cowbell to you know get tell somebody to shut up. Or somebody who's caring of science says, choose love. But at the same time, I saw really scary individuals carrying clubs and willing to use them. And, and as you point out, that is, that is anathema. If you're going to be an anti-fascist, uh, you, you have a lot of explaining to do if you're using violence to uh, press your image. Yeah. And, yeah, so... And, you know, one of the things people don't even know is, although no one would ever wish what happened to the young man who got beaten in the parking garage, the videos are, are pretty clear that he clocked an old man in the face with a heavy mag light um, just a split second before he was attacked. And though he was acquitted of an assault charge, it's there on video. So, yeah. The changes, the changes. You, you know, it's, some of the headlines are very. Um, you know, they 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 don't catch all the nuance. The uh, the the you made a I thought a very interesting historical point one of many many in in your book Summer of Hate when you said that the Virginia law against wearing a mask at events like this originated with an effort to demask the the Ku Klux Klan uh, whereas now it's it was uh, many of the of the anti racist crowd <laughs> wanting to to wear masks at this event. Yeah, isn't that weird? I mean, how how everything's connected in these bizarre, bizarre ways. Yeah, who would have thought um, that, that, that such a law would come back to uh, bite those who, who, whose archenemy would be the Klan, given that it was enacted to stop the Klan? <laughs> Indeed. Um, we, we've got just about a minute left, Hawes Spencer. Um, what do you make of the case that many have made that President Donald Trump incited racist violence uh, with his public comments, I'll pay your legal bills, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, both before and immediately after and ever since Charlottesville, and that there is a big impact uh, in, in, from the top down in such such statements from a president? Well, that, that's an, an, an interesting point. You know, traditionally, presidents have been looked to for moral leadership, and during his campaign, Mr. Trump... Um, celebrated um, mob violence. You know, he, we all remember when there was that uh, rally where somebody was, somebody was heckling him, and, you know, there's ways to deal with that, but, you know, what he said was, oh, yeah, I remember when we used to take people like that out on a stretcher. And, he, and, and that was widely interpreted as basically goading the crowd to gang up and hurt somebody. Indeed. So, what a... What a strange thing for a president to do, or a, 
uh, a would-be president to do. And it's not the kind of leadership that a lot of people uh, are, are accustomed to seeing and would, would want to see. Well, I'll engage in five seconds of commentary and, uh, and refer to it as a possibly criminal and a possibly impeachable thing for a president to do. Uh, our, our guest has been Hawes Spencer. Uh, his book, which you need to get a copy of, is called Summer of Hate, Charlottesville, USA. Hawes, thank you very much for coming on Talk Nation Radio. David, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure to be on your show. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, Please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.